A couple things I want to hit, some myths about church membership, but three things that are not true about church membership. The first one is that being a church member makes you a Christian, and that's just not true. Just not true. Just because somebody's a member in a church does not mean that they really have a relationship with Jesus, okay? Um, I mean, when I, and when I say makes you a Christian, I mean makes you a, a follower of Jesus with a, with a relationship with Jesus. You've repented of your sins, trust in Jesus, and you're going to go to heaven when you die. Um, and Jesus is changing you. I mean, I mean, a biblical Christian just because somebody's a member of a church. In fact, I would maintain, well, let me, let's get me out of this. Uh, Billy Graham, I think, said that as much as 80% of people that are on roles in a given church are probably not believers. He said, and I've heard statistics that high, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. But if you were to go and we were to poll the population of every given church in our region, I mean, really, truly, how many people really are Christians? You say, well, that's so judgmental. No, that's the point. The point is, like we talked about earlier in our core values, there's a lot of people that think that church attendance and self-righteous religious activity equates to godliness. And it's kind of like hanging out in Burger King all day and thinking that you're a hamburger. Okay, it ain't going to happen. It's kind of like sitting in a garage all day and thinking that it makes you a car. It doesn't. Okay, and and so you just because you hang out with Christians or you go to church doesn't mean that you're legitimately a follower of Christ. Well, how do I know that? Well, that's a great question. Um, And hopefully we'll get to that a little bit. But but let me just say, just because you are a member and your name's on a roll doesn't mean anything. In fact, Jesus even said that that uh, he gave an analogy of the enemy coming in the night and sowing seeds and that there is going to be tares among the wheat. And so in any gathering, there is wheat, but there is tares. And the difference between the two is very difficult to tell. Okay, they look the same side by side until enough time goes by. You begin to see fruit in one, the grain on the wheat and the tares. You really you, you begin to realize, okay, there's not the same fruit there. But then this is what some people want to do. They just want to cut the whole field down. They're like, well, yeah, the church is broken. Hypocrites. There's tares in there. Cut the whole thing down. Well, then you're going to hurt some of the wheat. So Jesus said, can't do that. But that's what the kingdom of God's going to look like. There's going to be there's going to be wheat, certainly, but there'll be some tares among there. Uh, the second one is that signing a church covenant or a membership card or making some kind of formal commitment verbally, writing it, whatever, makes you a member. Well, I mean, it, it might technically make you a member depending on the qualification of how that church has set up membership process, but uh, you can sign or verbally affirm or go through a class or etc do all those things but membership or partnership of the body of christ cannot be affirmed apart from active participation in the body of christ in other words just because you say i agree with these things just as we've gone over the last few weeks and i hope everybody's got a copy of the membership covenant which is in the back of the room um i hope you've gotten a copy of that and you've looked over that and you've kind of chewed on that but um, but just because you have you say, I agree with all that and you sign your name on it. If three weeks from now you disappear and you're not actively in life group and in gatherings and, uh, you know, people call, you don't call back. You don't there's no connect. We don't know what's going on. You can't say, well, yeah, I'm a member of Cross Life Church. You're really not. I mean, you're not actively a member. I mean, you might be on the roll here, but that doesn't really mean that you're 
involved. And, and so it's important for us to be involved in the body of Christ in the same way that uh, different parts of the body really aren't parts of the body unless they're connected, right? If, if there's a finger missing, it's not really going to last long by itself, right? So you've got to be together. There's, a, there's some wisdom in that picture Jesus gives us. And then thirdly, another myth is that only church members can belong and be cared for. The other, the flip side of this is, well, I'm not really sure about this membership thing, but I want to come, I'm learning, I'm growing, but I don't know that I want to be a member, member, but I want to come here. So I guess if you make a big deal about membership, I really don't have a place here. No, you do. Certainly you do. I mean, I, the question is, are you moving forward? Are you growing? I mean, are we able to help you? Are we able to, we're not, this isn't an issue of trying to exclude people from anything. It's just an issue of us trying to really be, uh, meaningful when we of what we call the body of christ that's that's the heartbeat and so to take a moment i just want to go kind of briefly through the new testament and uh so so we you can keep a finger if you want to try to try to keep up with me uh, it's fine if you want to just write the verses down on the back and, and read these later i would encourage you probably to do that and i'll read them uh and we will get to ephesians in a moment but uh that would probably be the best use of time but the next couple minutes i want to just go and I, here's what i'm going to do i'm going to read a verse and then I'm going to give you my observation, just kind of thinking about the verse. Here's what I observe and what I, we think we can take away as we begin to construct for ourselves an understanding of what does it mean to be a church member or is there a precedence for church membership in the New Testament? Does the New Testament teach membership in, in, and where do we get that from? So the first is uh, Matthew 18, verse 17, actually Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is the first time Jesus mentions the church where he talks about after Peter's confession that, yes, you're right um, of the things you've said about me. And upon this rock, I will build my church. We believe that rock is the confession of his um, of Jesus being the son of the living God. And he says, upon this rock, upon Jesus, upon me, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's. Uh, that's the first reference. The second one is this uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. If he refuses, so if a person's in sin, go and confront him. If he refuses, take somebody else with you and go talk to him. If the person still refuses, then and refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So you're saying that if somebody is in sin, you confront them. Yes. The individual that is aware of it goes and confronts them first. And if they are willing, they're not willing to repent, then you take somebody else with you to go. Yeah. And then you're saying if they don't listen to those two, then we're supposed to tell the rest of the church their sin. Publicly. And rebuke them publicly, that's what you're saying, that's what Jesus said, I didn't say it, Jesus said it, he says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, let him be as an unbeliever and treat him as one who no longer believes in the truth and is not a believer and kick them out. Now, what he's not saying is people outside that are seeking that aren't believers, we treat them as second class people. That's not what he's saying. He's saying somebody who has professed to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, to be a part of the church, who now begins to deny the confession of their faith in Christ by their life, they're misrepresenting Jesus and his body, the church. And in that case, now you treat them as somebody who is lost. Somebody who's lost, you don't treat them 
bad. You love them. You minister to them. You treat them trying to win them to Christ. Somebody who professes to be a Christian, you make it clear that they are not acting consistent with their uh, confession of, of being a follower of Jesus. And so lovingly, graciously, with a passion and a heart and a broken heart to restore them, you begin to cut them off and you say, no, you can't be acting like you're a Christian, like things are all, all right. Why do you do that? Why would you do that? Well, um, without getting into this in a lot, I mean, I, there's a lot to say here, but let me just, I'll say this, um, and I've observed this in people's lives, and, and I, I see it in Scripture, but there is a common grace that we experience as we gather together. There is a common grace that a unbelieving spouse experiences when they're married to a believing spouse that makes them think in some ways that they're under the light that they're really not personally experiencing, but they are indirectly benefiting from because of God's hand upon the believing spouse's life. And when you separate the two, then the unbelieving or unrepentant believe uh, the unrepentant spouse begins to see uh, they begin to experience the implications of the darkness that they are already living in and when they're isolated from the believers they begin to see that they don't have the same fellowship that they used to they don't have the same protection that they used to they don't have uh, the same common grace spilling over into their life that that is really not because of anything they're doing but because of them being connected with other believers and so the darkness becomes darker and the absence of the light becomes more acute. And that creates the space for God to work. That's our prayer. Does that make sense? That's the heartbeat behind what Jesus is saying. Observation. The church has a responsibility to maintain holiness in and among those in it. Jesus lays out the expectation that there will be, uh, that there's going to be a group that's defined, and if somebody... And that group is not representing Jesus well, and, and there's not maintaining personal holiness, then the right thing for the group to do is to is try to help them, and you don't help them by acting like there's not a problem. You help them by lovingly going to them humbly, getting the rod out of your own eye so that you can help them with the speck in their own eye and, and trying to help minister to them that they might be restored and come back to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse uh, 1, or second one I want to bring to light. And it says this, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. The church, you're arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. In other words, they were like celebrating that they were really loving and that they're letting this person still stick around. And but man, we're just we're just being loving to them and we're. We're trying to care for them. We, you know, we, we don't want to call them out and be judgmental. We don't want to judge them and their sin. I mean, everybody has their own choices. We're just being loving. And Paul's going, you are so arrogant. It's not love. You're hating them by doing that. You're not helping them. You're hurting them. And so he, he confronts that. And so uh, a man is in open sin, has, was removed from the fellowship of the church, but Paul tells them to exclude him from the assembly. How do um, so, so the question is, how do you... Uh, exclude someone again the question we're trying to answer is 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 there a precedence for the church so how do you exclude someone if they're not formally a part of something 
You got that? If we don't really know who's in, who's out, who's with us, who's not with us, then how do you really exclude them if they're not really, there's not really a, a something to exclude them from? What does that mean? Clearly, there was an understanding that there is a, there's something to exclude them from. First Corinthians 5, 11 through 13 goes on to say, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. In other words, they've said that they're a Christian. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, if he is an idolater, if he's a reviler, if he's a drunkard, if he's a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. In other words, don't have normal fellowship with them as you normally would pretending that they're a believer. Doesn't mean you cut them off and don't ever pursue them and you're not trying to maintain a relationship. You know, as Tom Bodette said, you know, keeping the lights on. Um, you with me on that? Keeping, we'll keep the light. Yeah. You want to keep the lights on. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? And that's where we've gotten it mixed up. We judge people outside the church and we look the other way with people inside the church. And he's saying judge people in the church. And look the other way with people outside the church. You spin that around. People outside, they're living consistently with who they profess to be. People inside the church in open sin that everybody's ignoring, are hip, they're hypocritical. And they're living a different, they're living a dual life. And we're letting them as if it's not a problem. And he's saying it is a problem. God judges those outside. He can handle those. You are to purge the evil person from among you. The church congregation, therefore was to remove the unrepentant brother from them because God judges those outside for they were, but they were to judge those inside the church. Observation. Here's my observation. We are part of something defined and distinct from those outside. So there's clearly a distinction for the Corinthian church, for Paul, that there's those outside and those inside. And we have a responsibility to one another and an expectation to judge sin in one another. Again, so the this verse Judge not lest you be judged, evidently, is not accurate. When Jesus said in that verse, you know, he, his, uh, judge not lest you be judged, he, he, he was doing it in the context of before you point out the speck in somebody else's eye, deal with the log in your own. Because all of us are really incredibly, incredibly talented at seeing sin in other people's eyes uh, and lives that often is in our own eyes or in our own lives. And, and the reason we're so wonderful at spotting it out is because it's 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 such an important part of our own lives and we just don't see it and so paul's saying you're gonna i mean jesus is saying you're gonna have a tendency to see things in other people that are probably going on in your own life which is why you see it so well but you're not aware of it because nobody can see their own face and so before you start judging other people deal with your own sin first so when you realize there's a brother there's a sister in sin deal with your own sin so it's a challenge. It's a moment to go, whoa, man, how did they get there? Well, I, I, I better first figure out where I'm at in my relationship with Christ. And is there something God's wanting to reveal in my heart? And then you're prepared. Now you can actually, maybe you can benefit. Maybe you can help them then. And, th- and that's what he's saying. But again, there's a distinction inside, outside. Okay, Second uh, Corinthians. So the story continues. Second Corinthians, second letter from Paul to the Corinthians, Corinthian church. Verse 6, chapter 2, verse 6. So 2 Corinthians 2, 6. For such a one, this punishment by the majority, underline, you might think of that, is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. 
or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Wow. So what's going on here is is um, is the by what they have, the stance they have taken, this person is now repentant and they're continuing to to kind of be beating him up a little bit. And he's saying, but he's trying to come back, receive him back. Stop beating him up. I mean, he's coming back. So love him, forgive him. And, and so the implication, though, is interesting in this passage. He says for there to be there's to be a majority uh, for there to be a majority. This is the observation for there to be a majority giving a disciplinary pronouncement on the one. There had to be a way of indicating who agreed and the on the punishment and those who did not agree with the punishment. Okay. In other words, if we're to vote on something, if if I'm to say, hey, let's in fact, I did earlier. I said, um, how many of you guys are excited about ecclesiology? And clearly there was not a majority. That was openly excited about the study of ecclesiology. And so we voted on those who were in the room. And so you all know just by nature of, you know, democracy or whatever, that a majority would be, you know, more than half of those defined. And maybe the definition is those are in the building. Maybe that. But it seems like it's beyond that. Okay, it's not just those in attendance for a day. It's those in regular community. There is part of Cross Life Church that isn't here today. Various things, various circumstances some are out of town some are sick some are um you know have other circumstances they just couldn't be here because of medical issues whatever they, so the this is not all of cross life church this is not the full body of christ local body of christ at cross life and so but but those that are representing the body of christ we could vote on something uh and we could evidence a majority which is to say that we're defining there's a defined group of people First Timothy, chapter five, verse nine through ten. Uh, I'm sorry, verses. Yeah, nine through ten. Verse nine says, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, um, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, has devoted herself to every good work, you know, enroll her on the list. First Corinthians, chapter five. What is he talking about? There's a list. There were widows, they had needs, and they were saying, we really need to take care of these widows. And um, interestingly enough, they were saying those that are, have been really faithful and been part of the body, we really need to make sure we, we have a moral responsibility to step in where there's not a husband and to take care of them, make sure that we know who's there, and then we get them enrolled on a list. So heaven forbid, they actually had a list. They had a list. Yeah, this is crazy because they didn't even have Excel then. Can you believe that? But they still had a list. It was crazy. I don't know. They probably chiseled in a rock or something. I don't know how they did it, but they, you know, somehow they had a list. I know they had papyra, I'm sure, or, uh, you know, uh, vellum, animal skin, something. But they found a way to write a list. They had the alphabet back then. Everything We have the New Testament from there. So they wrote down a list of names and somebody kept that list. So they were able to make sure that they were not leaving any of the widows out. They were taking care of the widows that they had a responsibility before God to make sure they're ministering to and taking care of. So there's a precedence for a list. All right. Enroll into what? Well, the list. Hebrews chapter 13, verses nine, uh, 7 through 9. Hebrews 13, 7 through 9. And then also verse 17. Let me read them for you. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday 
and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. It goes on in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. I don't like this verse, but it's in there. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's kind of like in parenting. Okay, it's like you're when, you know, you can tell your kids. I mean, I'm your mom or dad, you know, I'm your parent. And um, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. But I'm your parent and we're going to do it. (laughs) So you're going to take this medicine or you're going to do this assignment or you're going to deal with this discipline or you're going to do what you're told to do. And we can do this really easy or we can make it hard. But I I would tell my kids, particularly when they're younger, I would always tell them, like, you know, your your dad's going to win. I'm going to win. I'm just telling you. I'm getting whatever the fight is. I'm going to be the one standing in the end. So, you know, you can be compliant or you can go down in flames, but you're going down and I'm standing. So how are we doing this? How's this going to happen? And so in the body of Christ, not quite so um, brutally, but uh, but the spiritual leaders, there's a sense where uh, what he's saying is one day, understand this one day I will stand before Jesus and I will have to give an account for you. I mean, I'm, I'm going to stand before God and I'm, I'm going to have to, God's going to say, all right, tell me about Miss Beth. What's going on with her? How's she doing? Did you, were you the pastor that she needed? Were you, did you help her? Were you there? Were you ministering? Were you feeding her? Were you... Um, were you shepherding her like I expected you, to, like I've asked you to shepherd? She's one of my sheep. Are you taking care of her? And I'm going to have to give account for that. I'm going to have to give account for that. I'm going to have to give account for my uh, my family doubly, okay? Because A, I'm their dad, and so I'm, I'm their pastor. I'm their pastor at home. Every dad, by the way, here, you're a pastor of a flock at home. I'm going to have to give account there, and I'm also going to have to give account for them as pastor in the, in the church, okay? I'll be like, well, look, Lord, their, their father was really dysfunctional. You know, he had issues. Now, as their pastor, I mean, I, you know, I've done everything I could as their father. I, you know, no. So if I'm going to have to give an account on your behalf, would you give me the benefit? Of, help me out a little bit and make it a little easier on me. Help me. Help me help you. <laughs> Let's make this a joy. Let's make. But if I'm supposed to give an account, there's an ascent. There's a there, that's an accounting term. That means, again, there's an list and there's a defined amount of people okay which is where i kind of get nervous when you go to many churches that have been around for a while and you look at their role and they might have 400 people on the roll and there's only 85 people in the pew now which group are they supposed to give an account for the ones on the list or the ones in the pew okay or, or better yet maybe they should do a better job trying to match those two lists so they're not quite such a big gap there and stop going back to one of the the myths that just because you're on a roll doesn't mean you're a member maybe they've not really done a good job so one of the things maybe uh chief shepherd jesus is going to say to the under shepherd pastor is did you ever tell them that if they're not really involved they're really not a member did you ever think to tell them that Ooh, 
Yeah, see, in our group, we have uh, roles, and we get, and the goal is to get as many people on there, and then we don't ever get them on. They don't get off. They just stay on there. And once they're on the, that's not going to fly. Jesus is going to, the, the, the chief shepherd, the senior pastor of Cross Life, which is Jesus, is going to be asking for an account to the under shepherds. And he's going to start with me. David Fields will also, hopefully, I'm going to drag him in. If he's not there, I'm making him come. You know, I've got some questions for you, David Anglin. Hold on a second. Let me get David Fields. He's, he's going to get, he's in. let me get him. Okay. No, you're coming. Yo, yeah, no. That was his fault. That was now, I got to have somebody to blame, right? But we're going to give it a count. Help us in that. How, what is that? If we're going to do that, then what does that mean? The church has to be defined, have a defined leadership by that account. This means there's defined leadership, which means your three buddies at Starbucks talking about whatever is not defined. There's no defined leadership. Who's giving an account for that group? Nobody ain't in the book. And so leaders are to display lives of faith that can be imitated. The congregation is to willingly submit to them because the leaders have to have a responsibility to watch over their souls, the souls of the congregation. They will give an account before the Lord for the flock they shepherd. If leaders are accountable for the congregation, they must know who they are accountable for. This is why we have established at Cross Life a membership process. And part of that process is at some point, if you go through it, we're going to sit down, me uh, and you or Dave Fields or one of our other uh, leaders, and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk through how are you doing? What's going on? I mean, there should be at least one conversation of shepherding one-on-one where we're talking about where you at spiritually. How can I help you grow? What's happening? Do you have any questions? What's go- how can I encourage you? What's your plan to grow? Where are you at spiritually? What's, what's that? Is there anything that you're struggling with? How can I pray for you? What, whatever. We need to have that conversation. And so we actually have in our process, you go to Cross Life Basics, and then there's a little uh, interview kind of sheet thing you fill out, a couple pages, and you fill that out. And that is simply to give us something to talk about when we sit down face-to-face. It's not there to be like, a, well, see if you have a high enough grade, whether we'll let you in. That's not the point. It's a, it's a shepherd. It's diagnostic. Okay, that's the point of it. It's diagnostic. It's coaching-oriented. It's how can I help you grow? Let's kind of work through this, and then we'll sit down, and we'll talk through it. How can I be an encouragement to you? No need to be intimidated. I'm there to love you, to encourage you, to help you. We, we want to come beside you. We're not trying to you know, attack anybody or keep anybody out. But then there's that meeting, and then there's the opportunity for the church to affirm them, those who have been affirmed as members to say, yeah, we know this, but we're glad for them to be a part. And I am committed to them as they are committed to me. And that's our heartbeat and that's why we have that process and so um last one i want to share with you in these verses is uh first corinthians 14 23 through 25 it says if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter they will um will they not say that you are out of your minds but if all prophesy in an unbeliever or outsider enters He is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Well, the issue of this passage is not the tongues, those who speak it, those who don't speak it, whatever. The one thing he is saying is to speak uh, and to expose the word of God in a language that everybody understands is of the utmost benefit so somebody coming from the outside would be able to understand what's being said. But the bigger issue I want to show you in this passage is this. Paul speaks of several groups in this passage. I don't know if you noticed it. If the whole church, there's one group, 
comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders, there's another group, or unbelievers enter, they will not, uh, will they not say that they're out of their minds? But if they're to prophesy and an unbeliever, an outsider enters, he's convicted by all, he's to give an account by all. Anyway, so to go on, here's the groups I see. Observation is this. There's three groups. There's insider believers. There's insider believers. There's people that are in the room that are believers. That's one group that's here today. There's also insiders not yet believers. There's some that are inside. They're among you. They're, they're with you, but they're not believers yet. And so they're exploring. They're learning. They're growing. They're not, they haven't quite. And they're not believers because either they aren't ready to surrender their lives to Christ, but they're learning, or they maybe think they know Jesus, but they don't. And, but nonetheless, either way, they're insider non-believers. And then the third group clearly would be outsiders. Those are not believers that are on the outside that come in and they're among us and they're they're really not connected in fellowship, but they're here and they're exploring and they're learning. And we would love to always be a church that is welcome to. I love us to be a place and I try to even teach in such a way that I'm sensitive to those who would be, you know, might not have a lot of Bible knowledge and we're trying to help them grow that we're not assuming things. We got to constantly making sure that we're not using language and everything that we're insensitive to people who don't know the rituals and the things that we do. So we try to be really careful to make sure we're not unnecessarily putting up unnecessary uh, walls and fences to make it harder for people to come to Jesus. But three groups is the key. Believers, insider believers, insiders, not yet believers, and then outsiders. And again, joining a particular church is an outward reflection of an inward love for Christ and for his people. And so, uh, as, we, as we see so often in life, the greatest love is not based upon spontaneousness. It's not based on spontaneity. But the greatest loves in our life are based upon planned, premeditated. Um, they're, they're a planned and premeditated love, and they're based upon and characterized by commitment the things we have the most value for aren't the things that we jump into on a whim but the things that we orient our lives around and we make it a priority because that's where the real thing you know things that really matter and of value and we really truly love and so in membership we find two simple things that all of these verses they all stem to one two two observations one is uh membership is really simply put it's about relationships it's about being connected to one another. It's about knowing one another. It's about knowing what's going on in one another's lives. That's the first one. The second one is membership is about commitment. Point is that a mutually recognized formal relationship between a Christian and the church is in which both of them say, in a way that's recognized by both, that I am committed to you. That's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about covenanting ourselves together. It's a way for us to say, in a, in a clear, defined way, I, I'm committed to you. You're committed. We're committed to each other. To look to the person next to you, I'm committed to you. I'm, I'm in this for you. It's to say, I will share in your joy and, and I'll share in your pain. I'm willing to do that because my love for Jesus and my commitment to his church, and this is where I believe God's planted me, and so I'm in, I'm, I'm in all, all the way. It's also to say, I will take responsibility for you. I'll take your, in other words, I've got your back, is what you're saying. I got your back. I got you. I'm not going to look the other way. 
when I see you drifting. I'm not going to look the other way when I see you isolating yourself and act like it's just normal or it's just a mood or it's just a phase. I'm going to come after you and I'm going to say, hey, what's going on? So how, what's happening? How can I pray for you, man? What's going on? You seem like what's what's happening. We got to get past this. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Brother, brother, sister, sister. The little holy superficial greetings we give one another. But how are you doing? I'm struggling man. I need prayer. Uh, things are rough. I mean, here's what's going on in my life and being honest. Now, that being said, some of you do that too much and you're you are so wonderful at being open and honest about all the junk in your life. But you've never occurred to you that other people have problems, too. And you are what we call an E.G.R. person. You are an extra grace required person. OK, and here's the thing about E.G.R.'s. Everybody can spot them, but nobody ever thinks that they're ever an EGR. Okay, either never, nobody's ever gone, you know, I'm an EGR. Okay, and you don't want to be an extra grace required person. But nonetheless, we need to be honest about what's going on in our lives because nobody can really help you if you're not really honest about what's happening. But in being honest, it would be wise and appropriate for you to care about other people too. And ask them how they're doing and what's going on in their life and support them also. Okay, this is not one directional. This is multi-directional. And so I will, I got your back. You have my back. I will love and care for you. That's what we're saying. It's about relationships, about commitment. And if I'm not committed to you and you're not committed, we just float in on Sundays and we do our thing and we check the boxes and we all go scatter and do our, go about our lives, whatever, then um, this isn't really happening. And, and we're not really doing this, but but this is what God has called us to be about. And I think this is the precedence in the New Testament. If you are to jump into Ephesians 2, let me go there really quickly. In Ephesians chapter 2. I told you I'd get there. I said 3, but I'm, I'm backing up just a little bit. No, let's go to 3. Let's go to 3. For this reason, I, Paul, verse 1, prisoner of Christ Jesus... On behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So I'm a steward. I am to proclaim, I'm to share about the mystery, which is not made known to the sons of man in other generations, but it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit so in other words, it's not completely hidden and it's not completely something that nobody knows about, but many people have not recognized what it is and I'm here to proclaim it. So it's a mystery that's not like a secret truth that nobody's supposed to be know except some insiders. It's a mystery that has not yet fully been revealed. And now it's being revealed and here's what it is telling us. This mystery, verse 4, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel. And so if you come back up to chapter 2, verse 11, he explains a little more detail in chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, but uh, by which, by what is called the circumcision. So the, you, you, anyway, it, which is made in, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is 
our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and the commandments and the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. So let me summarize all that (coughs) with this picture. Um, This shows us the temple was shaped somewhat like this. There was an outer court. We know this from the viewer here for the Levitical study. Um, and that's where the court of the men could be. And then outside that outer court, there was the court of the women. And the women weren't supposed to go inside this gate. They had to stay out here. That's the way it was. Sorry, ladies. Uh, go back to Leviticus. We'll talk about the differences there. But that's the way it was. And then, but, but it's worse than that. If you're a Gentile, then not only, if you're non-Jewish by birth, then you can't, you can't even go past this gate. And so the court of the Gentiles is out here. In fact, towards the middle, latter part of Acts, Paul gets in trouble for bringing what some people, a person that they thought was a Gentile, past this gate. And he gets, he gets in trouble for it, although I don't think he argued he didn't do it. Anyways, court of the Gentiles out here. And so the, all of these walls were to separate people and to keep them away and to separate the different groups. And what Jesus was saying is that in my flesh... That's all gone. And we know that because when he died on the cross, not only did he break the separation here and here and here and here, but the actual veil that separated even the priest from the Holy of Holies where the presence of God resided was torn from the top to the bottom. And so all the separation between us and God is gone and we all have free access to the presence of God, not by nationality, not by our own self-righteousness, not by our ability to keep the law, but because of the blood of Christ. And it's all gone. The walls are all gone in Christ. In 70 AD, Rome actually came and destroyed them all, and they're all gone literally now also. But more importantly, spiritually, physically, uh, in Jesus' body, he has destroyed the things that separated us. And so what does that mean? mean what does that mean well it means this paul's saying i have this mystery i want to share with you and i want you to understand and my job is to proclaim and here's what the mystery is the mystery is that there's all these separate people with different backgrounds spiritually that none of them can get to god by their own merits and i am not building god has not sent me to build a nationality in different groups of christians in different nations but he's building one body one body jews gentiles men women perfect, imperfect, righteous, self-unrighteous, that he's taken them all and he's putting them all together and they're all there simply on Jesus' merit, what he's done. And, and that's what I'm here to proclaim to you. And so he goes on and this is where it gets really amazing. Verse seven of chapter three. So jump back to chapter three, verse seven. This is where it, this is mind blowing. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, Though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Okay, this is, this is the verse, verse 10. This is it right here. Ready? Are you ready? Are you sure that you're ready? That you're, are you really ready? Okay, this is big. Making sure we're all ready. All right, here it is. I've been called to proclaim, to share this, to make known the riches of Christ, all this stuff. Why? So that, 
the church so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So, so that through the church, through you guys, through us, God is going to display His manifold wisdom. Now you go, what is a manifold? Some of you are going, that's part of a car. What's a manifold? What is that? Well, many folds, many faceted, many dimensional, multi, infinitely dimensional. God's wisdom is like a giant diamond cut in such a magnificent way that every single time you slightly tilt it, move it, light shines in it and displays his glory in such an amazing way. And all of that is coming through, is displayed through the church. Through, the, through us? It's almost kind of funny. They're like, seriously, God, that's, that's your plan. For displaying your brilliant wisdom, the church is your plan. Yes, you and I and us and what we're doing, the, the, the kingdom of redeemed people that aren't here because of our own merits and our own efforts and trying to check a religious box or whatever, but God has saved us and is saving us and will save us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. We're starting to learn to love one another, even though all of us are unlovable, but we're loving one another, not because of benefit, but because of Christ. We're committed to one another. We're learning the gospel. We're trying to teach it to our children. All this stuff that we're doing. And so, understanding these things, a couple thoughts and then we're done. John Piper said of this, he said, most of us go through day after day and seldom feel the impact of the magnitude of, of what we are caught up in belonging to Jesus Christ, the God-man, the ruler of the universe. And we don't take enough time to meditate on how our jobs and our life and our leisure and our church involvement, how each of these fit into the cosmic significance of the church. And consequently, our lives often lack the flavor of eternity in the aroma of something ultimate. Does your life have the flavor of eternity and the aroma of something ultimate? Or is your life, is my life, is our church, are we defined by that which is temporal and that which is short-lived? It's convicted to think that all the frivolous things that we deem as important in churches, we have our preferences of music and our colors and our service times and our church programs and all these different things. And, and the thing that we're supposed to be about, which is displaying the glory of Christ to the principalities and rulers of there, which, by the way, I didn't even mention that is angels and demons. The, 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 the world not seen, it, we are displaying God's glory to the cosmos, to the world not even seen with our eyes, the eternal ongoing impact of God displaying his wisdom through gathering a return, a redeemed people is beyond comprehension. And the, the question to think about is, you know, the more we try to be so much, so hip and cool to the world, the reality is the more we resemble the world, the less we can impact the world. But the more we resemble a people that is really 
really in love with Christ and therefore really in love with each other and committed to each other and in this for each other. The more we grow into that kind of people, the world starts to take notice and go, wow, there's something different about that group of people. I want to know about this Jesus you serve. This summarizes all the other, our unified hope and our unified commitments all summarized in this one long statement. It's beautiful. Having as we trust been brought by divine grace, which is the grace of God to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other, which is just something that we would regularly renew to one another and remind one another of. <clears throat> we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love as becomes the members of a Christian church exercise and affectionate care and watchfulness over each other faithfully admonish and entreat one another as the occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care. In other words, your children or if whatever circumstances you you have adopted or you're raising um, grandchildren or whatever. We will take whatever that God has brought and given us and they're under our care. We're going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by our pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at one another's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will seek by divine aid, the Holy Spirit, to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldliness and lusts and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave. So there is on us a special obligation and empowerment now to lead a new and holy life. Finally, we will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church, we will sustain its worship, its ordinances, its disciplines, its doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through all nations. And lastly, we will, when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant, the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. That's just a simple expression that we can rally around to articulate the things we've been talking about the last several weeks. This is a thing that we would ask everybody as they come through the process of membership, formally affirm that, yeah, I'm with you. I agree with this. This is who God has called me to be. And so I would encourage you to pick this up and to pray through it and use it as a diagnostic discipleship tool to say, okay, God, where am I at in this process? Where do I need to grow? What do I need to reach out to other people to help me understand or to grow in or whatever? And let us all grow into the church that God wants us to be as we display the multifaceted, beautiful wisdom, powerful wisdom of God to the principalities and the rulers of the air. Let's pray. Thank you.